Hey guys, welcome to Dale Tribe Talks. I'm Amy. And I'm John. And we are a YouTube family of six. Our four children are not here right now. It's just us. Because today... We are going to have a conversation. About marriage. Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't really feel like the kids should be here anyway for this. No, they're not part of a marriage. They don't really. They 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 are. They don't the really have much good marriage advice at this point. Result of, of marriage. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. where where are we going? I think we should start with our story. We've okay. been married for twenty. Is it twenty one? Yeah, it'll be twenty two years in, in April. April. Yeah. yeah. So twenty one years. We first got in contact when we were about fourteen. Mm -hmm. Our parents were in a similar business and they there was a chat room so really we're the og true. internet couple it's true we yeah, are we are so um my dad was on this in this chat room and he started talking to john mm -hmm. and he quickly figured out because john told him um how old he was and was like oh i have a daughter your age right you guys should chat so it was way before internet safety you just assumed that whoever you're talking to is being completely straightforward and honest because like you just didn't know different at that point in time and so john told him his age and he's like i have a daughter that age and i came down and started chatting with him and that summer we chatted a lot in the chat rooms yeah. and also email but right. it wasn't like now where you can just, if you want to send a picture to somebody, you can just do it digitally. And it was like, you know, now you send somebody a picture, they immediately open it. And if you did ever send them a picture digitally, it would, it wasn't easy. And we didn't ever do that. So yeah, you wanted to, see, to get a picture of me. So I sent her a picture <clears throat> and uh, tell them tell about the picture. <laughs> so he sent me several pictures and... They were all, like one of them, he used to race sailboats, and one of them was a picture, and he said, I'm in the boat with a red sail, and the boat was literally about a centimeter tall right. in the picture. So all of the pictures he sent me were him from a billion miles away, and so I couldn't actually, I had no idea what he looked like. No, but I did send you pictures. <laughs> he did. So I had a feeling he was terrifying. I thought, this guy's obviously not a looker. So I fell in love with, it was a very unique relationship because before we got to know each other physically or even really know what we looked like, it, we got to know each other really, really well. Yeah, but that's fast forwarding because we, okay. were, we yeah. were talking when we were 14 and then we basically kind of lost touch with each other. Yes. Um, you sent me a graduation announcement when you graduated from high school, which was a year before me. Mm -hmm. And at the time I had a Franklin planner. And so I wrote your- My address. Address down in my Franklin planner. Mm -hmm. And then fast forward eight months and I am on a ski trip and I'm staying at this hotel and the hotel has like free postcards and they'll pay the postage like as advertising for the hotel. And so I wrote a postcard to pretty much everyone I knew one night including Amy. Mm -hmm. And so Amy gets this postcard from me, and then a few weeks later, I get a phone call. And it's you. Mm -hmm. And we talked for probably how long that night? I think about five hours. And then again the next night? And then pretty much all the nights. Yeah. And we met in person right after I graduated from high school, like the day after I graduated so it would have been from months high school. later. Yeah, several months later. 
And at that point, we'd seen pictures of each other. We had. Um, but our relationship grew to great depths mm-hmm. without any physical, not just not physical touch, but not even physical presence. Like, you don't know right. their mannerisms. You don't know, you know, if they're super awkward when you have a conversation with them in person. You know, you just didn't know anything. We didn't know anything like right. that. And so we knew each other very, very, on a very deep level, but only via phone. Right. And so when we first met in person, I flew to Tulsa the day after I graduated from high school. And I got a flat tire on the way to the airport to pick you up. That's (laughs) funny. And so. But I got there. Yeah, I remember it came off the plane, and you were, that was back when there was you could come through security to wait for someone. Mm-hmm. And we met for the first time, and I was going to go stay with your family for like a week, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was super awkward. And you did stay with my family. I did, yeah, for Just a week. For, yeah. Uh, but it was like, it was <clears throat> almost like when we were there, it was like, okay, I want to go to a different room. And I'll just call you. Right. It would have been a lot easier. Because we just, this is like physical proximity was super uncomfortable. It was a really awkward, yeah. like, but it was only awkward for like a few days, right. I we, think. Because we got used to it pretty quick. Yeah. It was just kind of, oh, this is bizarre. I'm yeah. not used to this. And so, yeah. And so how old were you <clears> at that point? I would have been You were probably 18, 18 and I was 19. You were 19. And so six months later, we started dating, and I started driving. Every weekend, I would drive from Austin, Texas, to Tulsa, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. eight hours one way, just for the weekend to hang out with you. Yep. And then after six months of doing that, I was like, okay, I am head over heels with this girl. And so I asked you to marry me. Yep. And we got married six months later. And I was 19, you were 20. He still had braces. Yeah. It was got married. April 6th of whatever year that was, 96. Um, a lot of interesting feedback when we told people we were getting married. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of, you're too young. Yep. At the time, I worked at a coffee shop. And I think being a barista sometimes is a bit like a bartender. And everybody tells you everything. And everybody feels like they have the right to say whatever about your life, too. So when they found out I was getting married, a lot of people, you know, sort of projecting their own life experiences on me were just, oh my gosh, it's too young. Now though, when we see people our age and we think about the fact that we were getting married at that age. You mean when we see people the age we were when yes, we got married? Yes, like 19 and 20 and thinking about them getting married. We're they like, are so young. Oh my gosh, you're babies. Right. And we were too. <clears throat> we were. We were. We just grew up together. It was great. It was really good. That's the beginning of That's the story. That's the beginning of the story. Yes. How we sort of got together. And then there's many years worth of story after that. So how about this? In 21 years of marriage, what are some of the hardest things and some of the best things in 21 years about marriage? Um, The best things is easiest, so I'll go with that. It's really awesome because you get to do everything with your best friend. And you get to, like, you're in a, if it's a happy marriage, you get to be in like your most comfortable relationship and like talk through things, dreams and ideas and go on trips with and, you know, be supported by the person that you want to be around the most anyway. So I think that's the best. And I think the hardest is the thing that's hardest in I think most relationships, which is intimacy and being really, really vulnerable, being willing to speak communicating well and the other one would be um, selflessness so not putting 
yourself and your feelings and everything in first have, all the time. Do you have an example? So let me just add some balance to this before I talk about it. First of all, I think it's really important that you, like self-care is a thing and it's really important. And I think that it's important to model for your kids that you take care of yourself and that you are not just serving others all the time and not taking care of yourself. It's really important to take time for what you need and, you know, make sure that you're doing okay. But it's also super important to not take that to the extreme and become selfish where it's like, this is what I need and you need to make sure that you're fulfilling all my needs, but you're not looking at the other person's mm-hmm. perspective at all. And you're just focused on what you need all the time. Yep. And so I think marriage, it's really important to be putting yourself in the position of your spouse and thinking, how can I support them, encourage them, you know, whatever, love them and show them that I love them well? How about you? Hardest and easiest. And easiest. So I think if I were to look at seasons, mm-hmm. I would say the hardest season was the time that I spent in New York. There was a six-month period of time where I did this alternative MBA program, which was this amazing opportunity for me, but it meant that I had to spend six months away from you, away from the kids. This is when... This was... Anna was nine. So our oldest was nine and our youngest was two. Eight years ago. This was the end of 2009. And I was homeschooling all of them. And you had the kids at home. I was in New York. Anna got sick during mm-hmm. that period of time with this weird disease called like... Hinoxoline purpura. Yeah, syndrome. And it's this strange thing where she had all these issues and ended up in the hospital and she all kinds of stuff. She was nine at the time. And I had to... Aspen fl- was two. I had to fly back like urgently for that. Mm-hmm. But it was like a season where I think we were the most disconnected that we've ever been. Yeah. Distance. Like, distance-wise, but also like emotionally. I think you really felt abandoned during that time and yeah and so we just didn't have I don't know if I felt abandoned I just was very like my life and your life were so different yeah you were like in New York doing all these fun and exciting things and learning stuff and I'm sure it was hard and had growth stuff too but I was at home with kids aged two to nine and homeschooling and I couldn't even go to the store to get a thing of milk without taking all four children with me and all four children into the store with me. So my life was, me time was not a thing. I mean, like I didn't have, it was me and four small children all the time. And so like my life at that point was survival mode. And so when John and I talked, it was just like, our lives were so completely different. Yeah. I mean, you sacrificed a ton for me to be able to do that. And whether you resented it or not, it it felt to me like you resented it. Like, mm-hmm. and so while it was true, like during the day I was learning and doing all these things, like every night I was sitting by myself in a one room, a little room that I'd rented. Mm-hmm. And it just, we just weren't connected. Like it was very disconnected. And we had been married at that point for whatever, 12, 13 years. And so it was our first season of both physical separation and like emotional separation. It took us years, I would say, relationally to recover from that. Now, I think part of what happened was, I think those six months 
magnified some things that may have already actually been going on between mm -hmm. us and it just sort of like brought them up to the surface more yeah but it was like it was a it was a year or two after that that we ended up going through the season where we went for counseling and we got to talk through like our life stories and our relational styles and all of this and that was like that was super helpful as far as what's been the best i would say that like these last few years have been like some of at least from my perspective like some of some of my favorite it feels like we are really in sync together our kids like our relationship with our kids is really good um like i can't imagine doing what we do on youtube any other any other season in our life except for right now yeah, no right like a lot of people like say oh wow you guys have this amazing family and your kids are so good and it's like Man, if you could have just seen what went into that, what went into that, like the time, the, mm -hmm. like it was not like vlog worthy material of like young kids, us not so doing well hard. together. Yeah, I, I can't, I, to all the people who vlog when they have young kids, I'm amazed because it's I so, couldn't have done it. So There's no way I would so have been hard. able to do it. Yeah. It feels like you guys that have been on this journey with us on YouTube, like you, you get to see like, us at our best like in our best years i almost want to say like right off the bat like um we do have an amazing relationship and we have an amazing family but it's it has been hard fought for yeah and it's a lot of little choices along the way a lot of sacrifices by you a lot of sacrifice by the kids by me that get us to like where we are today where i feel like we're kind of like hit our jam, like relationally. Yeah, it's kind of like when you walk in on like a master violinist playing and you're like, I want to play like that. But you, like once you start playing, you realize I, I sound horrible when right. I play this. And it's like what you're seeing is a result of years right. we've of been, practice. We've been married for longer than we haven't been married now, yeah. even though yeah. we're only 41 and 42. What are some of the things that you would love to communicate like to not like a newly married couple because there's too many things for a newly married couple <laughs> but like you see a couple they're like five six seven years into marriage and they're beginning to hit like it's not new anymore some of those types of issues mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you would say we have learned yes. that you wish someone would have sat down with us mm. you know like the yeah. age we were we moved to colorado for example and totally. said hey here's some things that we think will be helpful for your next decade so one of the things I think is important to point out is that John and I are really opposite in a lot of ways. Like we have similar personalities mm -hmm. types in some ways yeah. and we're both really laid back, which is helpful. I mean, yeah. I'm pretty spicy, but like we're chill. Like right. I'm going to get mad a lot faster than John is. John, right. like but I've seen him mad like maybe once, maybe twice. As far as like really mad. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like he doesn't get mad and I am, I'm a little feisty person. But, but we're not high strung. No, we're not high strung. And that I think is one of the pieces is that has made it a lot easier. You don't stress about all the things. You kind of have to like let things go. John has had to learn that because <laughs> he's a very neat human being. And he married somebody who is very messy. Is very messy. <laughs> I am extremely creative. I have giftings, but keeping things orderly and organized and neat is not one of them. And so you know, it's been hard for him at times because he just feels like 
she doesn't even care. Well, the truth is I don't even notice. Like, I don't even think about it. It's not like I'm deliberately like, oh, I'm just going to throw trash everywhere because... I hate John, you know, <laughs> it's like, and he comes home and he's just like, what is going on? We don't live like this. But, you know, for him, he's had to like learn, okay, look, this is just. The right. It's just not, it's not a value for you in the same <clears throat> way. I need things to be somewhat organized or at least not messy in order to be able to relax. You know, like if I go into the kitchen and it's the stuff everywhere and I'm supposed to cook dinner, like I enjoy cooking. And it's like this fun, relaxing activity that I do in the evenings. But I clean the kitchen before I start cooking, which I think to you is like ridiculous. Like, why in the world would you clean the kitchen when you're about to make a mess? And I'm like, but I'm not going to make a mess. I'm going to like clean up as I go. And it's like, I want it like the Zen. I need it to be right. And that's just a way that we're completely different. Totally. You, on the other hand, like I would say you value relationship over like messiness. Mm -hmm. So if I've been gone all day, and it's like, you know, the kids are going to be up for another hour or so. And the house is messy because it's just a lot of stuff that's been going on during the day. You would much rather I come and engage with you and the kids for that last hour than get the, than, house, clean. Than get the house clean. Yeah. Because for you, it's like the relational value is really high. And so we've just kind of had to learn. Like I've had to learn that when things are really busy, the house is not going to be clean. And that's okay. Yeah. And you've become really good about things like making the bed. I've become really good at cleaning. I mean, honestly, and now I'm to the point, like we've rubbed off on each other yeah. after, after this many years. And now I do like prefer it to be clean. And so there's some areas where it's like my, if you walk into our bedroom, immediately you see John's side of the bed and everything's neat and orderly. Really my side of the room. Yeah. It's like there's a line. And down then the you middle walk the over to my side of the room and there's like my desk and I have all this cool stuff, but I don't have anywhere to put it. And so it just all piles up on my desk. And then I have like my bedside table with the 500 books that I plan on reading right. and all the hair ties that I own because every night when I get in bed, I take the hair ties out and then like socks. Because, I mean, just everything. It's just a mess. And so there are some areas that I just don't quite get around to. And I'm okay with that. But, and I think John is, you know, okay with it. But yeah. It's not a neat and tidy, I mean, neat and messy competition. It's just, the point of that is learning to not stress mm -hmm. about the little things that really don't matter. And they feel like they matter. They feel like a really big deal, but just like getting some context and being like, okay, yep. this, is, this is not that big a deal in yep. the context of our lives. And then I think one of the pieces that I would go into from that is if little, every little thing is stressing you out, mm -hmm. then there's probably some work internally that you need to do. And, you know, I had a season where I went through counseling for myself and it was amazing. And before I'd gone, I was at, a, at such a like constant state of stress mm -hmm. that it didn't take very much at all to set me off right. and to have me high strung, stressed, whatever. And this, the state I am now is my more natural state. I'm very chill. But at that point, I was in a state of high stress. Now, admittedly, I had a lot of small children, which is not easy. Justifiable high stress. Holy <laughs> Lord, it's really hard. It's a hard season. Everybody told me that teenagers was a harder season, but they were wrong, at least in my case. Very wrong. Little kids are hard. Any of you who have small children right now, bless your hearts. It gets You're better. You're doing awesome, and it gets so much easier. I think that 
taking a look at what's going on inside and how you feel on a regular basis. And if your normal stress level is so high that you cannot tolerate any incoming anything, then you probably need to like get some help, get some help, yeah. go to counseling, talk to somebody. Um, you know, I, I did that and it was hugely helpful and it changed yeah. everything because my normal level of stress was way down so that I could tolerate things would happen and it would be like, Oh, that's, Totally fine, no big mm -hmm. deal, you know? Whereas before, everything would set me off. Right. So that's another big piece. The other thing I think, for me, like you were talking about people who've been married a while now and it's not like the, you know, you've left the infatuation stage mm -hmm. of like, oh my gosh, he touched my hand and you know, whatever. Um, I think at this point, what you have to understand is that marriage and love is not just a feeling, it's a choice. Mm -hmm. And it is a commitment that you made. And when you made the vows, you know, there's a reason they call vows. And John and I always kind of have this like, not really argument, but like joke about the fact that he wants to, he's like, we should renew our vows someday. And I'm like, they don't need renewing. Like their vows, that means that they're good forever. That's the whole point of a vow. And he's like, yeah, but you know, it's romantic. And so I just kind of think the whole, <laughs> I'm not saying anything bad. If you've renewed your vows, it's very sweet and romantic. And sometimes people's relationship gets to a place where they- They have, need to. They feel like they've been violated and they need yeah, to start totally. over. And so that's, that's really admirable. Right, absolutely. Yeah. And for us, I'm just always joking with them because I'm like, look, our vows, they last, They're, they don't expire. And that's the point I think that a lot of people have misconceptions about marriage when they get into it and they think that they're supposed to be really happy all the time. And if they're not really happy and if they don't feel completely infatuated and if they're not getting fulfilled, then the marriage isn't working. Right, it's not, it isn't actually your spouse's job to make you happy. Right. Of course, we like want to help make totally. each other happy. And I, and I think this goes back to something that you've alluded to. I think one of the foundations of marriage for us has become we take self-care seriously. Mm -hmm. Right? So when you've needed to go for counseling, I've been 100% supportive, supportive of that. Yeah, when I've needed things you've been supportive of that. And we even just in like our day-to-day -day rhythm of any given week or month, like I make sure that uh, you have time with your friends. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't think, I don't know that I've, I can't think of a time that I've ever said no when you've asked like, hey, would it be okay if I did something? Right, Right. No. Like, it's like, how can, I, how can I make that happen? I mean, I'm leaving in the morning to go for a couple of days with a group of guys. And I think it's, it's really important, like, I cannot be Amy's girlfriends. Like there are things that she needs relationally that she cannot get from me. And you cannot be my buddies, my guy friends. Like it's- I will not go on an adventure trip with you and that is fine. <laughs> so like, and I think it, like accepting that and, and supporting that, my observation when I've looked at married couples that they're always only have each other and they don't like encourage and support like separate circles of friends and stuff. Is it like that, that that's like that codependency that's like mm -hmm. super clingy and unhealthy. And yeah, it's anyway, that can rabbit trail, but that's, <laughs> that's one thing. The other thing, and you, you were talking about the kids is, I don't know where we got this from exactly, but somewhere early on, someone told us, or we read 
that the most important thing for the kids was that our relationship be stable. Mm-hmm. And so we have had that as a value. Right. Uh, we've done better with it at sometimes, some seasons than we have in others. But in general, we've done a good job of always making space for you and I to have time to get dates. Um, okay. e- even if it means like kids, you're going to be with a babysitter, we would go get our time to be able to go on a romantic date or even just like go grab coffee and have a conversation because we've just so been sucked into our own li- our own world. The you know busyness I mean? of life. Yeah. And it's and it's like we consider it good parenting. Yes. Yes. Because it's an investment. It's not just us well, that's and, benefiting from our relationship being good. Their stability comes from our, our relationship stability. being stable. Like right. it's really really hard. And and so many of you guys who are listening or watching like come from broken homes where you know parents have split up and stuff and and you know and we've got so many friends and people we've talked to like it's really really hard for your life to be stable when the family unit that you are part of is not stable yeah the other thing that has been really interesting and i don't know that it's necessarily like more healthy than than other relationships but we don't really fight and and so it's true we've talked to a lot of couples even like couples that we look at and we're like, man, they have an amazing relationship and they really, they like fight well. Like they get angry and they yell at each other and then somehow like they kiss and make up and it's like they, they look at that as like part of the relationship. And I think part of it is like, like my, the family I came from, like my parents, they don't fight. They don't yell at each other. There was none of that. And so I just had zero expectation that there would be any of that. And so as hard as I tried to fight with him, I was just kind of like, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> in for the fighting. <laughs> just I'm just kidding. I think it's part of it, though, is we're both, I mean, like, we've had a lot of tearful conversations. Yes. And that's more what I would describe as closest we would get to fighting. Right. And, but, but we have, for the most part, always been good. Like, when I've come to you with something that I feel like is wrong or mm-hmm. that you're doing wrong or that's wrong in our relationship, or, the, or you come to me, just for whatever reason, somewhere in there, we've had the wisdom to be like, okay, I'm going to listen. I'm going to hear this out. I'm not going to be defensive. Even though there have been times when like, I've not handled it well. Well, and o- that's just relational we have. It's 101. The, it's, it it's like yeah. listening. When someone has an issue with you, you listen to them. Figure out what's going on and why they feel that way. Yeah. And you don't get defensive. You don't get to interrupt them and say, but, 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 but. You know, you just hear them out. Yeah. And then you say, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry I've made you feel that way. You know, like just that kind of relational thing. Like 101. Right. Yeah. So I think that to go back to what we were saying earlier about the whole happiness piece. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that this is a piece I see a lot happening. And having been married... 21 years now gives you a little bit of perspective and helps you understand that love is a long game. It's not, it's not a short game, right? It's not like, you know, like what I told somebody one time, they were talking to me about prenups and I said, you know, you don't open a business with a going out of business sale already printed, you know, like the going out of business sale sign already printed. Like that's, you don't, you shouldn't do that. And that's kind of like John and I have always talked about, if we ever fight, before we even got married, we discussed this and said, if we ever fight, if we ever have conflict, let's make an agreement that we never bring up divorce, mm-hmm. that that's never on the table at all. Because when you're having hard times, if that word gets in and it's an option, and then they're like, oh, well, the other person mentioned divorce, like they want a divorce, like 
maybe, you know, it's just, it's too easy for that to become, you know, to be the option, the the easy out. So for us, like, divorce has just been off the table. Now, that being said, if you are in a relationship where you are being abused, cheated on, all of those things, like we are not saying there's not never we're, a situation no. where you we're should talking about divorce. normal, healthy. We're talking about in general. We've seen, I guess, we've just seen couples where it's like they get in a fight, and all of a sudden, one of them's like pulling out the D word, and it's just like this unhelpful trump card in in most situations. I think that our society now has has made it so that our own, like our happiness, is the number one thing. And I am not saying our happiness is not important because it is, but there are seasons of your life that are going to be really hard right. and you've committed to a relationship. Right. It's not like, you know, when you said those vows at your wedding, you were like in richer and poorer for better or worse. This is the worse. And you, you, you stick it out. Right. You don't, you know, I mean like that's the whole point of marriage is that when times are really, really hard, you love each other well in spite of it. Right. You keep plowing through. You try to find the way that you can love the other person. You don't go, I'm not getting my needs met. I'm not, you know, like getting what I need out of this. This is not fulfilling me. So I'm going to have to leave. Right. I mean, that's kind of just a life principle is that happiness is not the highest value. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. your own self emotion of happiness is not the most important thing. Now, because there will be difficult times, there will be hard things. Now, in the midst of that, you can still find joy, and that's probably like a whole other conversation for, for another time. Yeah. It's unfair for me to put on Amy the responsibility to keep me happy. Like, I've got to figure out that somewhere else. But we love to help make each other happy. Totally. And here's another piece I think that goes into that is there's been this other thing I've seen, which is I think part of my job as John's wife and his job as my husband is to be each other's biggest cheerleaders. Right. Like we're each other's biggest encouragers and cheerleaders. And if I have any crazy dream and I tell him, oh, I want to do this, you know, like I want to be a hip hop dancer. He's like, awesome. You can do it. Let's figure out where you can get lessons and how you can do this. And let's put mirrors in the basement. I mean, like he's the most supportive about any crazy idea or dream that I have. He's like, yes, he's in all the way. And I've tried to do the same thing. I mean, when we first got married, he was a serial entrepreneur. And every crazy idea he came and brought to me, I was like, awesome. I mean, I figured out after a while that just because he told me an idea didn't mean he was going to do every one of them, which was actually kind of a relief. But but I was excited. And I was like, I believe in this guy. And I know he can make whatever happen, you know. And I think that that's an important piece of it is your job is not to bring your spouse back down to reality. Trust me when I say that they will get plenty of that out in the world. Like, I feel like, and I think this is just relational in general, maybe not just spouse, like with your kids as well. Like, I think your home is supposed to be a safe place where you feel encouraged. Where you can dream. Yes, you can dream. You can think about possibilities. Now, that does not mean if your spouse is, you know, being irresponsible and, you know, like, oh, yeah, hey, we're going to buy $5,000 worth of Bitcoin and we're going to make our money. You know, that's a different, that's a different thing. But I'm just talking about in general, in normal, healthy relationships that, in, you know, like your part of 
what you're doing as a spouse is encouraging right. the other person. You're not like, I'm going to be the realist and I'm going to bring us back down to earth because you have stupid, crazy ideas that are going to make us, you know, go to the poorhouse. And that's just, that's, I mean, who wants to be married to that? Honestly, mm-hmm. you want the person that you're married to, to believe in you more than anyone else on the planet. Which brings us to like the flip side of what we've just been talking about. While I don't think of it as your job to make me happy, my happiness is not dependent on you. I'm absolutely doing everything I can so that you can be happy. Yeah. And that's where we continually have to sacrifice ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. For our families, right. for those around us. I think it's it's this this piece of just like getting our eyes off of what's in this for me. Like why isn't why is this not making me happy? And instead looking at how you can bring joy into the life of your wife, your kids. There's something about just choosing to sacrifice your own wants, desires. I mean, there's like there's lots of things that you and I would love to do that, for example, we don't get to do because we have our kids in private school. Like that's, yeah. that's a choice we've made. Nothing wrong with necessarily public school, but for us, we feel like this is the best opportunity for them. There's a lot of things I do because of homeschooling that I sacrifice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you would love to like have all day, every day, to be able to write and to pursue the things that you want. Be able to spend more time doing creative endeavors, but I feel like right now I'm investing in my kids, and that's what I'm doing. So there's just seasons of that in relationships. The other piece I think is like when you have that feeling of I'm not fulfilled, this is, I need to find myself, I need to, you know, all those things that sometimes drive us away from our relationship. I think there's a couple of things about that. One is I think it's a good idea to talk to your spouse about that. Mm-hmm. Listen, I feel like I have, you know, like all these dreams and all this person that I want to be and I don't feel like I'm able to be that person. Like having that conversation could be the beginning of a really great and new thing in your relationship. And your spouse would probably want to encourage you and help you to become the person that you want to become. The other thing is, I think it's really important, and this one I would lead into like guarding your heart from affairs and stuff. I think it's really important to guard your mind and your heart Mm -hmm. as far as where you find your thoughts, you know, going. You're looking on Facebook and you're like, oh, there's my ex-boyfriend from high school. Man, he's doing really great. Like... Ah, he and he looks so good. He's aged really well. And, you know, like, I bet he's not a neat freak, you know, <laughs> or whatever. It's really important for us to guard our hearts from those things and from, you know, like when you when you develop a friendship with someone of the opposite sex and suddenly you feel this twinge of like, oh, they really appreciate me, like in a way that my spouse doesn't. Well, for one thing, the reason they really appreciate you in a way that your spouse doesn't is because they haven't had to live with you for 15 years or however long, you know? I mean, honestly, it's true, right? Like we can appreciate people that we don't have to put up with all the time a lot mm-hmm. easier than the people that we've lived with all the time. So I think that when we have that first thing of like, oh my gosh, they they really see me and they really appreciate me in a different way, I think that's when we kind of go, okay, you know what? I need to be careful here and I just need to back off this mm-hmm. relationship because this is not a safe place for my heart. Like I could easily jump into places that I don't want to be. Don't do stupid things. <laughs> The grass is not actually green on the other side, as it turns out. So I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about communication. I can't tell you how many people I have talked to who have told me that they're having some issue in their marriage or something that's going on that's really bothering them or troubling them. And I say, well, what did your husband say when you talked to him about it? And they just 
I haven't talked to him about it. Mm. Like, um, well, it's probably not going to resolve itself this way. And so I think that that is a piece that is, if not the most important, I mean, for us, spirituality is probably the most important thing in our marriage. Like we fight for each other on a spiritual level and pray for each other and all of that, Mm -hmm. which I think is actually the most important. Mm -hmm. But for us, like, I think secondary would be communication, being willing to listen and being willing to open up and talk about what's going on in your heart. Right. Not, don't just go tell your girlfriends. Like, Talk to your husband right. about what it is. I, I think one of the big landmines in marriage is unvoiced expectations. Oh my gosh, So yes. just as an example, 100%. we went through probably like the first, I don't know, half decade or decade of our marriage with me being, this is a silly example, but like really, really irritated that you never made the bed. Right? Like, I would literally come home from work, go into our bedroom, and look to see if the bed was made. And it wasn't. And it would just be like, she doesn't even love me. If she loved me, she would make the bed. And yet, I have never actually had a conversation with you. Yeah. Now, I don't know that having that conversation made a difference. But until we have the conversation... I've been doing really good. She's been doing amazing. And why? This is funny, guys. Why are you now, after 21 years of marriage, suddenly making the bed? Go ahead. I have issues. Take it away. I have issues, and my, one of my major issues is eating noises. I cannot handle them. Like, I cannot. I have to leave the room if someone in my family is chewing gum. I, I just, I can't. Yeah, so about the bed thing. It's an issue. So we were in the movie theater, yeah. and John was eating popcorn, and I tried to coach him. I'm like, you can eat popcorn next to me, but here's how you have to do it. You have to put it in your mouth, close your lips, then crunch, because then everyone in the popcorn in the whole theater doesn't have to hear you eating your popcorn. Fair enough. Right, so I'm trying to coach him through it, and he goes, well, I could." I said, I've been trying to teach you how to eat popcorn For 20 years. For 20 years, and he's like, well, I've been trying to teach you how to make the bed. And I was like, oh, is this equal? Because if I make the bed, will you eat? eat quietly because I'm in. So it was a little bit self-serving. But you're not making the bed. But I'm making the bed because I think maybe I can use this against him next time we're in the theater and he's eating popcorn loudly. I can be like, I make the bed every freaking day. So you better eat your popcorn a little quieter. And this is a good example of how (laughs) for the last 20 years, I went through like the first 10 years of like angry. Just bitter about it and not talking about it. Angry, sad confused i'm reading the words off of her stormtrooper mug but then somewhere in there i just made the decision if i really care about the bed being made i I can just make it myself and you would like laugh at me because we'd come to bed in the evening and i would make the bed make the bed before like before we get in it because for me i'm like what's the point we're gonna get in it and mess it up it's so nice to get into it when it's like all ah it's just so relaxing yeah anyway as you can see like we're still figuring this stuff out but but communication like unspoken expectations that you then hold it against the other person when they don't fulfill. Oh, totally. I think that is a huge piece. I had a friend who said something about Valentine's Day one day, and she talked about what her husband did. And I, I'm i not a big, like, flowers person. I mean... I don't really even waste money on flowers anymore. John doesn't waste you just, money. You just kill them. I don't... Yeah. I, t- <laughs> I don't even take care of them. I'm kind of like, oh, they're pretty, whatever. Um, but I'm not really into that. Uh, you can get... Well, spend your money. I mean, they're so expensive. I'm like, spend your money on something else that I actually like. So this friend expected flowers and something else, and her husband did something different, and she was really upset about it. Felt like he didn't love her or whatever else. And I said, well, did you 
give him, like, did you tell him what you were expecting? And she said, no. And that's the piece where there's like this, we are not mind readers. Mm -hmm. Neither spouse is a mind reader. And that is something that you've got to learn. You cannot expect your spouse to know what you're thinking and to know exactly what you want. You have to tell them. You have to communicate. Look, my birthday's coming up. This is what I really like. I do not want a surprise party. I want this. I want, you know, like, I mean, the more you communicate, the better things work out. Now, over the years, sometimes, especially about things like that, you won't have to communicate as much because they just know, especially if they're John. He's amazing at that. He's a really good gift giver. Not me so much. I mean, there's a lot more that we could talk about in and, the realm of marriage. And we probably will. We probably will yeah. at some point. But this is just our basic sort of first stab at it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in, after the last podcast, we got a comment with a question from Nicole. And Nicole asked if we could talk a little bit about dealing with hard times and how you get through some of your lowest or most difficult times. So how do you get through difficult times? That's a really good question. Uh, I think it depends on what the hard times is. But for me, number one is always taking it to Jesus and uh, spending some time in prayer. That's, a, that's the hugest piece that's like faith is my rock, and that is the part that will give me stability. So what does that, what does that like actually look like? Like taking it to Jesus, that, what does that mean? Like for you literally, <laughs> like, okay, you're having a tough time. You're like, I need some time. What do you do? I take like as much time as I can every day and I sit down with my journal, my Bible, and I pray and I journal. This is the best for me is journaling is I journal and I just tell about what's, I write about what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then I write my prayer out like, Jesus, I really need to speak you to speak to me about this. I'm really struggling with this and blah, you know, whatever, that kind of thing. Then I ask him to speak to me and then I am silent <laughs> and I listen. And, you know, sometimes I'll have worship music on or something like that, but I just listen to him. And then I write down in my journal what I feel like he said to me. Like you hear a voice or... It's no, it's more like an um, impression that I okay. get. But you have to find for you what is the grounding foundation for you. And for me, that is it. Spending time in prayer and journaling, that does that for me. But there's also... Uh, a lot of other elements. Like one of the hardest times of my life was when I was going through Aspen's diagnosis. And I could not do that one on my own. Mm -hmm. And you know, I went to God and all of that, but I also got my friends together. And I cried and I told them I didn't want a new normal. And I, you know, like we had conversations and they let me cry it out and they talked me through it. And I think seeking support from others is really important as well as that grounding of faith or whatever you have. Another hard time I went through that was really, really low was when I was dealing with a lot of self-hate. And that one is a little more difficult to take to other people because nobody's inside your head except for you. And so that one I um, dealt with by dealing with the hate and taking sort of control of it and going, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. And so every time I thought, you know, like a thought came into my head that was hateful towards myself, I would stop it and I would say, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to like let that thought take root and start, you know, 
running away with me. I'm going to say this instead. And just to say, like, if you're dealing with things like that, we're not saying don't go talk to other people about that. In fact, the tools that you got to be able to do right. that Sorry, I didn't mean to came like that. out of a season of like I was going to counseling. Going to counseling. I was going to counseling when I was dealing with that. What I meant is sometimes in addition to seeking help from other people and counselors and friends, you also have to fight for yourself. Mm-hmm. And you have to kind of rein in your thoughts and really understand, like, be willing. You know, people might give you advice, like your counselor or someone might tell you something you should do. And you'll be like, I'm desperate, I'll do whatever. But then he gives you the advice and you don't do it. So, you know, like being willing to go to places that are hard, to do things that your counselor or that your friends suggest, like really being willing to fight for yourself as well. Yeah. I just want to really emphasize, like, if you're dealing with... Seek help self-hatred, self-harm, suicidal type things, like talk to, talk to someone, yes. talk to a professional. Like there's absolutely no shame in that. No. And you do not have to walk through a situation like that on your own. Mm-mm. When we have dealt with those types of situations, we have gone and got professional help. For me, I'd say the biggest thing that has helped me with hard times is talking to other people whether it's you, whether it's my friends, uh, there is a natural tendency for me to just try and hold everything inside. And if things aren't well, like I'm a naturally positive and optimistic person and I don't like to like have people see me outside of that. And that's really unhealthy when I'm not doing well. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it really is a matter of talking it out, like admitting that things aren't well and having a conversation with a friend or with you or with a counselor and, and, and getting it out there where I'm not just trying to deal with it by myself. Like that's, I think that's the biggest thing that has helped me. I think it's so. really funny though too because like you are an internal processor. Right. And I'm an external processor. So when we have like these tearful conversations we alluded to earlier, I will cry and say all the words that exist in human languages and just all the words Mm -hmm. john i'll say well what do you think and i'm like let me think about this will think for like 10 minutes and then say a sentence because i don't want what i don't want to do is (laughs) so add to your pain and suffering (laughs) right and he's very wise he is a very wise man so i try really really funny i was just thinking about it the other day i was like man that's it's funny you can make a caricature of our of those conversations because it would be so funny. Yeah. So guys, hopefully this has been helpful. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed it. If you did, it would really help us out. If you're listening on, on iTunes um, or in the podcast app or whatever, go on iTunes or whatever platform you're on. Give us a rating, uh, leave a comment, let us know what you think. If you're watching this on YouTube, please leave a comment below. Let us know what you think. Give this video a thumbs up. If you are not subscribed to Dale Tribe Talks yet, go ahead and click subscribe. We'd love to have you along for the journey. And if by any chance you haven't seen us on YouTube yet, uh, go to YouTube, look for the Dale Dale Tribe. Tribe. And uh, yeah, we'd love to have you join us on that journey as well. So we love you guys. And uh, we will see you again on this channel in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye. We're all right.